Earlier this spring, I was out in Colorado Springs. I was visiting my mom and um, took the truck out there. It's not new, so, of course, on the way out there, I get a check engine light on and um, took it into the Toyota dealership and turns out it was just, just a hose that had dried out and was given, you know, sensor a problem or something. Of course, then they gave me this list of all the other things I should do to the truck, you know, like $2,800 worth of stuff. Not happening. The thing is, if I, if I do it, well, I, I kind of have to do some of these things, I think, because one of them is the timing belt. So if I do all these things, it's not going to improve the performance of the truck, right? It's just going to keep it from breaking down, right? Um, if you want to improve the performance, you have, to, you have to do something of substance. You have to give it new components, or you have to, like, do something really you know, to improve it, you know. Um, you have to go to somebody who <laughs> knows what they're doing. You have to um, go to somebody that can do all those things. And you don't want to do too much because, I mean, you could put the biggest supercharger you could find on there and you blow it apart, right? So I'm looking at the engine guys over here, you know. Um, but if you, if, you, uh, if you do it right, it kind of looks like this. Recognize that? This machine's a dynamo. It measures the output and lets you fine-tune it. And my truck's never going to sound like that. 17 years old. Um, but it isn't enough to just maximize performance. I mean, what, you know, you're going to just take this and set it in the corner and admire it? You know? It's got to do something. It's got a purpose. That engine has a purpose that it has to fulfill. Um, so you have to do something. You have to put it in something. If you put it in something and you properly install it and you do it, just right, you get something that looks more like this. <laughs> Carrie, that one was for you. So what's that have to do with us, besides engines? I think you could kind of say that we all have a spiritual engine, right? In that light, you could say it was designed by the Father as creator, and it's maximized by the Son. Theologically speaking, we call that transformation. We are transformed. Um... Where does that all begin? Begins with being reborn. Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The Holy Spirit transforms us for a purpose, for his purpose. It's a kingdom purpose. This is why scripture talks about the fruits of the Spirit. 
we fully understand that we are not saved by works. But we also understand that as we are transformed, and that is an ongoing, lifelong process, as we are transformed, the outgrowth of that transformation is revealed in how we live our lives. How does that look in us? Um, this month, right now, believe it or not, out of this small body, of the, this is a small part of the body of Christ, out of this small body, we have over 20 people in the mission field. 20 people out of this body. We've got the group in Vienna. We've got our youth with four adults. Yeah, let's count them, right? Four adults. We've got Evan, um, Robin and Randy, and uh, Mike. And they're down in New Orleans. We've got Nathan preparing to go back overseas again. We've got Katja at Cooperstown. I think it's fair to say Dusty's in the, in the mission field, even though he's fully employed there. And he's at Cooperstown. We've got t- over 20 people in the mission field, just from this body. But it's, I, I mean, it's important to realize that the mission field isn't only far away. It, it isn't only for a finite period of time, a week or two, or a, a summer, in, in the case of like Cooperstown. Um, each of us, every day, wherever we are, is our mission field. Um, at work, Shopping, you know, in school, if you're in school, everywhere we are, that's our mission field. Um, when I was out in Colorado, I heard a guy um, from the Navigators, a group out there called the Navigators Talk, and something he said just kind of resonated with me and was banging around in my head. And the, the drive home, um, I kind of pulled it straight through, so 1,200 miles. Um, about 18 hours of driving, so you've got a lot of time to, <laughs> a lot of time to think, a lot of time to pray, and just kind of had this ongoing conversation with God, and I, I came up with these four things, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I really hate, like, formulas. Whenever anybody tells me something like this from the pulpit, it's like, I can't do that. That's the first thought in my head, I can't do that, you know. I remember Miles and Gary, and I think Mike were out at District's, and they went door to door. And I'm thinking, I can't do that. What are you going to get me a 10-foot pole so I can bang on the door? 90% of houses have steps, you know. But I came up with four things. And I think they're doable. Be present. Pay attention. Do what you can. And speak truth. Just those four things. Be present. Pay attention. Do what you can. And speak truth. Um, I'm, some of you may be thinking that's just too simple. Be, a, be present. That's just dumb. But you think about these days. Be present. Do you, you guys ever teach high school, Sunday school? Their, their brains are like anywhere but like there. Their, yeah, their bodies are present. You know, I remember when I was in that age, it's like I was a daydreamer. It's like, you know, it's like I can remember my dad going like, Earth to David, you know. Um, so just saying be present, it, it, we're not always present, you know. Especially, I didn't bring it up here. I left it with Jeff, actually, and turned the ringer off. But that little box that we all have, this is all you see anymore, you know. Yeah, your body's there. You're not present. Um, pay attention. Uh, 
if you know me, you know I stumble over this one all the time. I think Leanne is forever asking me, like, if I've noticed something and <laughs> not happening. Um, do what you can. No one is expecting us to, to do the things that, that, for instance, that Christ did. But there are little things that we can do. Sometimes it's as simple as being the one that's there to listen um, and speak truth. As Christians, we come at everything from a biblical worldview. That viewpoint is in direct conflict with most of the world today. Um, But it also brings, the biblical worldview brings something that this world desperately needs. Um, Grace, love, mercy, and the message of salvation. Um, I actually Googled the four terms at one point when I got home. And I did find a couple people that had mentioned one or two like life coach kind of people and stuff like that. Nobody mentioned all four. Nobody ever mentioned speak truth. Um, and nobody came at it from a scriptural perspective. Um, but I'd like to look at two really, really familiar passages. You'll recognize these. Um, and um, and look, at, look at how Jesus kind of went through most of these steps. Um, the first is from John chapter 4, and uh, this is when um, Jesus had, headed, um, had left Judea and was headed for Galilee. He was really tired from the journey, and he was uh, resting near Jacob's, something called Jacob's Well. John tells us it was about the sixth hour. This is one of two times in all of John that he references time. The only other time he references time is when he references the time of day that that Jesus was on the cross. So, I mean, if he goes out of his way to put time in there, it's important, okay? He mentions that it's the sixth hour. That's about one in the afternoon, the heat of the day, and it's a time of day that, that nobody would be going to the well to get water unless you're trying to avoid the entire town. Um... So the woman that approached the well was intentionally trying to avoid everybody. And this is where we pick this up. I want to um, start in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Remember, he was drinking at Jacob's well. Um, Our father, he gave us the well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or will not have to come here and draw water. Um, being tired, um, it would have been pretty easy for Jesus to kind of just 
had some quiet time sitting over here by himself, you know, just not ignored this person coming to get water. I mean, she's just going to get her water and go. But he didn't. He was present in the moment. He paid attention. He realized she's coming in the middle of the day. She's coming for a reason to avoid everybody else because she's being looked down on. Um, And it wasn't lost on him what that time of day meant. What Jesus could do far exceeds like our personal capabilities. But he was there for her and he opened opened her eyes and he revealed himself as Messiah. And later in verse 26 he says, I who speak to you am he, meaning the Messiah. And that's the truth that he spoke to her. Um, The other thing I wanted to read is another one we kind of learn as children and that's from um, Luke 19 and that's the story of Zacchaeus which I usually can't read without singing that song um, starting in chapter 1 um, and this is, this is when um, Jesus is actually headed towards Jerusalem he entered Jericho and was passing through and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and was rich And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd that was so big, he could not see because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw him, they all grumbled. He has gone to be a guest at the house of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I would restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I know we know these stories really well. Um, Can't do it with the bifocals up there. Um, Like I said, this was late in Jesus' ministry. The next day is is the day that he actually does the triumphant, can't do that word, entry into Jerusalem. And he takes the time out. We've all seen pictures of like celebrities or whatever when they're passing through a crowd and they're getting jostled about and they can't, I mean, they can't see what's going on and pay attention. That's kind of a picture of what Jesus at this point in his ministry was going through. Most people had heard of him. People wanted to get a glimpse of him or get close to him. Um, And he had the presence of mind to look up and see this guy in a tree. He knew who he was. He called him down, and he went to his house. Now, that's something we could do. That's not a big thing. You know, we don't have to look at somebody and say, oh, they're kind of, you know, they're not good people. I shouldn't go to their house. Tax collectors, um, the way that I understood it worked back then, Rome told them how much tax they had to collect. If they collected more, they got to keep whatever they collected. The people didn't know what needed to be collected, so they could gouge them as much as they want. So they were seen as just really um, untrustworthy, dishonest, kind of 
pond scum. You know, they weren't, they weren't very popular. And these people were really ticked off that Jesus went to this guy's house. You know? Um, and it was that, that lesson. I mean, he was present and he saw him. He paid attention to him. This guy really wanted to see Jesus. Why else would he have climbed up there? He did what he could do. He went to his house, broke bread with him, and he spoke truth. Today, salvation has come to this house. Those are the four things. They're really simple. Um, it's, it's so easy for us, I think, today to get caught up in our own world, especially, like I said, with cell phones and things like that. Um, cute story. I don't know if you guys know it or not, but uh, Wednesday night Bible studies for youth, for detour. There's a black box in there. It's called um, Salcatraz. All the students have to drop their cell phones in there. Stops them from looking at it. Yeah, I know a few teens I'm looking at. All the ones I wanted to look at aren't here today. Um, everywhere you go, though, that's all you see. Like, you go to restaurants, you'll see couples not talking to each other, both, like, looking at their phones. We need to be present and pay attention to our world. Um, a year or so before we moved up here, um, I got slapped in the hospital for an infection. And um, I thought it was something I could ignore, but it turned out it wasn't something I could ignore. So they had to put me on IV antibiotics. After, I don't know, I guess it was four or five days, they started like disconnecting it, except when I needed the uh, antibiotics. And... Uh, first thing I had to do is I knew I had to start getting strength back up. So I was wandering around in the hospital and I had my iPad, um, iPod on. And I know that dates things just by itself, but, you know, <laughs> phones didn't have me much memory in them back then. The word app literally had not been developed yet. Um, so we had iPods. And in my, my iPods, I had, um, you remember we used to make like, um, what do you call them? Um, like playlists of your favorite things. So I'd have my praise songs in there. There's a couple songs in there that just endlessly bang around in my head. Um, so I hope you'll let me read one of these. One is from a song um, by a guy named Brandon Heath. And um, I came to realize that the chorus of this song is essentially a prayer. It says, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones I've forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. And that's essentially a prayer. The rest of the song talks about people that we would walk by on the street, not, know, not notice them, not think of what's going on, and it would talk about that, and then it would go back to this prayer. You know, and it's a prayer to God, give me your eyes. Because it's so easy. As we look at other people and we think, yeah, their lives are good. They're all happy and stuff like that. But if we look at it with God's eyes, if we could see behind the facades, we would see the hurting. We would see the, the pain. Um, you, sometimes people think that they're either too old or they're too broken or things that they've done in their past make them not useful to God. Um, that engine that I... Uh, that engine, by the way, the first engine's Randy's. Um, 
His nephew rebuilt it. I took it out there a year and a half, I think, before this. And um, that engine's 45 years old, you think? Yeah. When I took it to his nephew, who did the rebuild, I'm going to embarrass him. It's like, he picked that thing up, and there was rust and dirt that fell out of every port in that engine. I mean, that block was just, he, I mean, he literally did look at me and goes like, was this buried? You know? And that's what it looked like when he got done with it. Okay? One of my favorite sayings that people probably hear me say from time to time is, God does broken. Sometimes we have to be broken enough that we finally realize how much we need him. God does broken. Um, God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And in Romans 5.8, it says, God showed his love for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He does broken. He knows we're sinners. Um, You really, you just have to put your heart and put your life into the hands of the one that designed you. Let the transformation start to happen. Um, And you allow that transformation to take place. And as you make yourself available and, and willing to be used for his purpose in his kingdom, he will use you. The, the second song isn't a prayer. The second song that was on my playlist that I kept banging around in my head was not a prayer that day. It's actually a question. And it's from a group called Casting Crowns. And it's called If We Are the Body. And it asks the question over and over again, if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? If we are the body, why aren't his feet going? And why is, his not love, why is his love not showing them there is a way? That's a question just begging us for an answer. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to lift our faces to the Lord and ask that he opens our eyes so that we can see the hurting? If we see the hurting, are we going to be willing to step out to go to them, to go to a house of a sinner, or go to the house of somebody who people might look at you and say, gosh, do you believe they went to that house? Are we willing? That's what it takes. Are we willing? Um, we are the body of Christ. We need to go. And go doesn't just mean halfway around the world or halfway across the country. Like I said, go may mean go to work, Pay attention to the people around you. The people that look like they've had an off day. Ask them that question. Is there anything I can do? Maybe the the only thing that you can do when when you say speaking truth into their lives, maybe the only thing you can do is say a prayer for them. Be bold. Ask them if you can pray with them. It's a scary thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. Um... But it's it's the willingness first. Um, Are we allowing that spiritual engine, the 
It's the one that continues to be transformed for his purpose. Are we actually allowing our spiritual, en- spiritual engines to be used for his intended purpose? Or do we just kind of like come on Sunday and pet it and admire it and think it's good and then put it back on the shelf? It all begins with starting to pay attention to what's going on around us and just being willing to be used. That's all it comes down to. Let's pray. Father God, we, just, we thank you for your word that teaches us. We thank you that you encourage us. We thank you for the work that you do in our lives, the way that you do transform us. We see it all around us. We see it in our own lives. We pray that you just continue to do that work in us, Lord, and that you, you make us willing to go, to be in your mission field, that mission field that's the world around us. And we just thank you for all of these things, Lord, and pray that we'll, we'll just do this faithfully and ongoing every day of our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.